Lesson 9, Part 1. You see, I've got, in the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about these three words, justification, sanctification, and consecration. And um, the one that requires the most time is the third one down, consecration, and that's the one we're going to be on today. But I want to do a little bit of explanation. When you get into to the original Hebrew, and that's what we're dealing with here in these Old Testament scriptures, um, and they're the words are used in, in, the, in the Greek are almost exactly similar. Um, but um, we talked about last week that assurance of salvation lies not on consecration, not on something that we've done, but on justification, which is what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. So Justification, first of all, is a word that, that we recognize as something that has been done for us. We are justified in the sight of God because of what Christ has done. It's something that has been done for us. Next week we'll get in more, a lot more into sanctification. But sanctification then is that, that word that describes what God's doing in us as children of God. All of this has to do with holy. And so by being justified, God then it can, we can come into the presence of God because we have been justified, meaning that he is just in calling us holy. And only that which is holy can approach him. Otherwise, it would be dispelled like light dispels darkness. So we're justified, and that has to do with holiness. Sanctification is that process where God is making us more and more and more holy, and we call it being conformed to the image of Christ. We talked about it last week or the week before when it's talking about the purification process and, and uh, refining silver and gold. But it's an ongoing process, and it's something that God does in us. Sanctification is a continuous work. But consecration then comes down to something that we can do for God. And we'll get into it in the class, in the course in a minute, because I'll tell you while I almost always don't want to be reading much from the lesson, sometimes some of these lessons say everything and I think needs to be said. And so I want to read some of the lesson for you this morning. We'll talk about it. <clears throat> but consecration then comes down to what what are we going to do for God? What can we do for him after he's done all of this for us? And Paul says it best in Romans 12, 1, where he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's just a reasonable thing that you ought to be able to do after all that he's done for us. So that's the word consecration. I got into a little bit of a word study and I wanted to share with you some of what I <clears throat> Consecrate, consecrated, and consecration are um, derived from three different Hebrew words. And I don't know how to pronounce, do the best I can. Charam, Nazar, and Gadesh. Gadesh we know because of Ganesh Barnea. But to consecrate, in the original Hebrew, it means to devote. It's something devoted to something. 
Consecrated means that it's been separate, and it is separated, separate or it's been separated, it's set apart. And that's then the, the word that's uh, Gadesh means to set apart. But Gadesh is also, I found very interesting, Gadesh is the word that's also translated sanctify or sanctified or sanctification. They always use derivatives of the word Gadesh. <clears throat> Which kind of leaves an interesting point with the, with the language, and that is that anytime we see the word consecration, it depends on how it was used in the Hebrew sentence as to whether Gadesh was, was translated consecration or whether it was translated sanctified or sanctified or set apart. And oftentimes, we only find even in the English <coughs> that it will simply use the words set apart. I want us to kind of go to some of the first words of these. If you will, open your Bibles. Let's, let's go to um, Exodus. And I want to start in chapter 28. We're just going to pick a few places where the words are used. But it gives us a place to begin to see what what the real meanings of them are. Yeah. Okay. Exodus <coughs> chapter 28, verse 41. Let me read a little bit before it. I'll start at verse 39. And um, well, this whole thing here, I'm not sure where it starts, but back a couple of chapters, it starts about setting up the priesthood. They set up the tabernacle of meeting, and, and now they're going to set up, God's setting up with Moses all the laws and so forth related to how they will perform their worship services in this, in this um, tabernacle. So he's telling them all the things that they're supposed to do. And starting in verse, verse 39 there, it says, You shall skillfully weave the tunic of fine linen thread. You shall make the turban of fine linen, and you shall make the sash of woven work. For Aaron's sons you shall make tunics, and you shall make sashes for them, and you shall make hats for them for glory and beauty. And what I want to point out there with that, just that little dab of reading, and you can go back over the last couple of chapters and you see that everything that's been used here are ordinary things except very <coughs> fine craftsmanship or very fine quality, but normal things. <clears throat> then verse 41, so you shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him. You shall anoint them, here's the word, consecrate them, and sanctify them that they may minister to me as priests. And then you get down later in some of the other verses and stuff, and it's talking about these items. And it talks about these items as also being consecrated, being sanctified. And what the, what, what's happening here is that God is showing Moses and Aaron and the people 
that these things are now, and catch the word, declared to be holy. They're holy. The, the table that they used in, in the tabernacle, that they put the showbread on, because that table was set apart for this purpose, not to be used for anything else, that's considered to be a holy table. Understand what I'm saying? It's set apart for God to be used for God or in worship of God, and it is therefore considered to be holy. It's an inanimate object, but it's holy because it's been consecrated to God. It's been set apart for use by God. There's some other verses here. Let me switch over to 20, just a little ways over the next page, 29, 27. <coughs> Actually, verse 22 is a good one. And 9, <coughs> chapter 29, verse 22. Also, you shall take the fat of the ram, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys, and the fat on them, the right thigh, for it is a ram of consecration being set apart for God uh, verse 29 says and the holy garments <laughs> catch the word here see we're talking about garments and yet God speaking to Moses is calling these garments holy verse 29 chapter 29 says and the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them are separated to them. So I can stop with that. Um, don't need to go any further with reading, but hopefully you see the idea here that God puts on these words, these words consecrated or consecration or consecrate or sanctify, uh, to set it apart. It's set apart for God. <clears throat> now let's go to let's go to, to the lesson. <clears throat> and in our last lesson, we learned that assurance of salvation rests not on consecration but on justification. I won't read the rest of that paragraph. And I quoted for you Romans 12, 1. Number one there. What is consecration? The first uses of the words consecrate, consecrated, consecration appear in Exodus 28 and 29 and have to do with the setting apart of different things for the Levitical tribe to be priests. Next paragraph. Consecration is the giving of my life to God to do his will instead of my own. That's where we come down now to the word consecration as it applies to us as children of God. Uh, and the word consecration, we're to be consecrated to God but it's not something God does automatically for us or in us. It's something now with God's help we do for him. <coughs> Consecration is the giving of my life to God to do his will instead of my own. It means that I present my body to him as a living sacrifice. The animals which were offered to God in the Old Testament were, were slain. They were dead sacrifices. God does not ask us to place our bodies upon an altar to be slain. Instead, he asks us to become a living sacrifice 
He wants us to live for him. Um, there where it says, to do his will instead of my own. <laughs> um, let's, let's turn, if, if you will, let me go back to the Bible. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 3. <clears throat> I usually have these things marked so I don't have to fool around trying to get to them. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. To, to set the stage, this is where where the Israelites are about to cross the Jordan River. Uh, and uh, what's the city that they're to, to escape there with Rahab in it? Um, um, oh, my memory is so bad. What's the name of that city that they're going to take down? <laughs> Can't think of it. Anyway. They're about to cross the river, but they haven't done it yet. So they get some strict instructions. Start reading the first one, so we set the stage. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Achaia Grove and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place to go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And James, verse 5, And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. <coughs> Question is, what, what do you mean by that? What were the people to do in this area of sanctify themselves? Anybody want to comment there? Pretty much, I think, what it really means is that they were to, they were to pray, they were to draw close to the Lord, they were to realize that they are set-apart people, they are to realize that the, this is a holy thing that they're about to do. God is with them. God is about to bring them across this river. And by the way, the Jordan River at that point, I think at any point in the year, is not a little stream of water. It's a river. It's a river. And so they're about to cross all this river by foot, and you're talking, what, guys, a million people very close to it? <laughs> That's an, an enormous undertaking. And he's saying to them, sanctify yourselves. And remember the word sanctify is one that we can also use for consecration. It's from the, from the Hebrew <coughs> word, <Yodesh. coughs> So he's, he's basically saying to them, Set yourselves apart for God. God's about to do something and you're going to be allowed to be a part of it. 
So it's consecrate yourselves. Um, so uh, I wanted to point that out. Leviticus also does some things. <clears throat> I've got some, um, too bad that Robin and Bill aren't here. She, she, she talks about um, a fellow that I, I took some stuff from his um, commentary last night. Understand God's role in consecration. God calls humanity to be consecrated to him. The ability to consecrate yourself is only made possible by God, and the calling to do so comes directly <coughs> from God. All holiness comes from God, and any holiness demonstrated by a human being is transferred to that person from God. Only God has the power to transform a human into something sacred. So in a sense, God is consecrating you, making you holy, once you decide to consecrate yourself. As the creator, God wants each person to live in God's image and likeness, and as such, God wants to dedicate each person to a sacred or consecrated life. <clears throat> Let's go back to, to, the, to the lesson here. Uh, but... <clears throat> I want to capitalize on this. I don't remember where I had put my notes on this particular thing. But um, consecration is the giving of my life to God to do his will instead of my own. And the idea is, is that don't we want God's will done in our life? I don't think there's anyone of you that wouldn't say, I want God's will done in my life. The thing is, God can't do his will in your life if you're reluctant, if you're holding back in any way. A, a, good, a good example is Jonah. Jonah was considered God's servant. God had a place for Jonah to go. God had a will for Jonah. What did Jonah do? He didn't want to do it. Now... Hey, boy, he, he didn't want to do it. So I don't want to get into the whole story of Jonah, but it's just an example to us of how things can go if you're not willing to allow God to have his will in your life. So it's, it's something we need to be able to have our mind on and consider in this area of I want God's will to be done in my life. <coughs> now, we all... I don't think I've ever met a Christian, I don't think I've ever met a believing Christian that didn't want God's will to be done in our life. But if you want God's will to be done in your life, then you have to be willing to get out of the way and let him do whatever he's going to be doing. And that also then could be kind of a definition of this word consecration. Let's go on. <clears throat> Number two, what is the basis of consecration? It is voluntary. It is unto him. And I won't read it, but uh, Leviticus 1, 2, and 3, it's got a little bit of it. It says, If any man of you bring an offering to the Lord, he shall offer it of his own voluntary will. Throughout the Old Testament, when we talk about the sacrifices, and especially talking about the sacrifices that the people brought, the people were never <coughs> by the priests, or by holy convocation or any other thing ever 
made to bring one of their animals to the altar. Never. They were supposed to. There was uh, clear instructions about when and how that it should be done, but it was always volunteer. Same thing with us as with our tithes and offerings. <coughs> There's no one standing over us with a big whip and a board to make us do that, is it? We do that of our own voluntary will. Well, this thing about consecrating yourself to God is also a voluntary situation. Uh, this tells us that consecration is, number one, unto the Lord, and that it must be voluntary. God wants us to give our life to him, not because we have to, but because we love him and want to serve him. Neither does he want us consecrated to someone or something, but unto him, not to a preacher or a mission or some particular calling or work, but to him. God is the one who decides and it is we, and it is we are to do, and what is we are to do, and where he wants us to serve. Um, and I've kind of gotten to, to be friends with the people that run the Owasa Hope. And you know, while in a way their activities, day by day, <coughs> day out, and where they think and believe God wants them to be, is devoted to Owasa Hope. And the same thing would be with us, with New Leaf Ministries. We're going to be devoting a lot of ourselves to this ministry. But where's our heart supposed to be, really? We're not, we're not just to live our life devoted to some particular ministry. We're to live our life devoted to God. He's at the base and the root of everything. And there are people, I have known people, that have, and a couple of the evangelists that I'm thinking of are on TV, or used to be at least on TV a lot, and, and people were following them, and, and there's a right and a wrong. It's not that they shouldn't be following good examples if a good example is being set for them. But some of these people were like this evangelist was their God. Right or wrong? And wrong. God is God. We're supposed to be devoted to God. And again, we're talking about this thing of consecration. <clears throat> consecration is also the offering of a whole life. <clears throat> the animals were not partly dead. Whether the offering was a bull, a sheep, a goat, or a pigeon, it was the offering up of a whole life to God. God could not accept anything less. When Jesus offered up his life, his life for us, he died. And here's an important sentence for us. I cannot give part of my life to God and keep for my part for myself. This would not satisfy God and it would not satisfy me either. All of the joy and blessing in the Christian life depend on holding nothing back from God. If, if I'm going to emphasize anything here, I hope that I'm emphasizing and the Course is emphasizing and that we grasp the idea that this consecration thing is no small thing. It's not something to be taken lightly. It's not something just kind of go over our head and, oh, okay, that's a word, that's a subject, I should know about that. This is a big deal. 
This is a very big deal in the life of a believer. There's more about it when we get on the next page. <clears throat> Consecration is continual. Burnt offerings were offered to God each morning and each evening, day by day, continually. My consecration begins with the act of giving myself to the Lord, but it does not end there. I must daily offer myself to him to do his will rather than my own. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Praise God. All right, so you're getting the idea. <laughs> is it sinking in that this is, this is a good deal? <clears throat> Page two. Why should I consecrate myself to God? Good question. Why, why, why uh, should we do that? Next sentence. Because I belong to him. The Bible says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? And you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Whether we live or die, therefore we are the Lord's. Romans 14, 8. These verses tell us plainly that we are not our own. We belong to him. We were bought with a price. What price? Ye were redeemed... Ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Let's stop there and talk a little bit about redeeming. We use the word redemption. <clears throat> and it's one of those words that will connect with the cross. Um, and I think oftentimes fail to grasp the root of the word and what it really means. Redemption comes about from the word redeem, to be redeemed. We don't, we don't get into it much in our day and time and in, and in this country. But think, if you will, about a lot of people. I think it was pretty predominant among the Irish that came to this country back a couple of centuries ago, or a century, a century and a half ago when they came. Many of them, in order to be able to get that boat ride over here, would... Uh, indenture themselves to someone here that had money. In other words, they'd say to a person that's in America, uh, if you'll pay my way over, I will work for you basically as a slave for five years or 10 years or whatever it would be. And we call that indentured servanthood. Okay. Now take that and let's say that this person comes. And he's involved in this, and he's two or three years into his indentured servant thing. And, uh, and one of his relatives here finds out that he's over here as an indentured servant. And this relative is a person that's got some money. And so he can go to the, to the man that this man's indentured to and say, how much does he yet owe you? How many dollars is it and if he had the money he could pay that and in so doing he redeemed his relative from that indenturedness and and paid the price to redeem him you understand what i'm saying there 
And that's, that's a pretty good illustration of the word redeemed. We need to think about the cross. See, we owed a debt we couldn't pay, right? We're all sinners, fall short of the glory of God. We in no way in the world. Uh, and another thing there is, is that we're, as sinners, we're slaves to sin. So that makes us slaves to who? Satan. Slaves to Satan, slaves to sin, and going where? Straight to hell. So what Jesus Christ did on the cross there, and that's why we use the word redemption or redeemed, is that what was, what's the price for sin? What was, what's the price for us being a sinful human being? The soul that sins, it must what? Die. So, so the payment for sin is death. So Jesus was able then, because understand this, because he didn't have to die for his own sins. See, each one of us cannot give our lives for somebody else because we'd have to die for our own sin. Jesus had no sin. So Jesus then was able to redeem you. He could pay the price for you so that you become redeemed. You're redeemed. Well, guess what, guys? We owe him something. As a matter of fact, he bought us. He bought us. We belong to him. We're purchased by the blood of Christ. There's a factor involved here, and that's called what? Belief. Whether you believe it, and another involving little word there is acceptance. If a if a gift is given to you and you don't accept it, then it's not yours. But if you reach out to, and, and for each of us, we've received that gift. We've received that gift. We've received that redemption. So as such, then it says that we are declared to be the children of God, redeemed by the blood of Christ. He bought us. We belong to him. So then when we come back to this word consecration, that's where Paul says in 12.1, it's just your reasonable service to consecrate yourself to him because he already owns you. You're already his. Paragraph two. Consecration is simply recognizing Christ's ownership of me and saying, <clears throat> and here's, here's a really important sentence. Lord, I am yours by right <coughs> and I wish to be yours by choice. There's there's a big, 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 big kicker. That's such a wonderful part of who God is and what he's done for us and how and why did sin come into the world? Because human beings, Adam and Eve, were given the right to choose. They were made volitional. So God owns us redeemed us by the blood of Christ so that he has a rightful claim to us. But what does he do? He gives us the right to choose. So that's why we say that consecration is something that we do for him. We need his help to accomplish this. But God wants each of us to come to a place where we're able to say, 
I know I'm yours because you bought me, but I want to be yours because I choose to. That's consecration. That's consecration in a nutshell. You come to a place where you say, I, I, this is my whole life. I want to belong to you. I want to do your will. <clears throat> now, number four, the purpose of consecration. <laughs> the purpose of consecration is what we talked about on the last page is that God's will may be done in my life. It is really Jesus who does God's work, God's will in me. Quoting, now the peace of God make you perfect every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, Hebrews 13, 20, 21. And this is where I made myself some notes about Jonah. <laughs> I was looking for it a while ago and couldn't find it. It's on the wrong page. <clears throat> The Gospels tell us how the Lord Jesus did his Father's will when he lived here on earth. The book of Acts tells us how he continued to do his Father's will through the apostles and the disciples of that day. Now he wants to work through us. When we give ourselves completely to him, he will work through us even as the Father worked through him. I'm, I'm prompted to... to, to halt right there for a minute and say and I guess every one of you unless you guys weren't here heard my testimony last week mm -hmm. um, I want you to think about Jesse Bashnight for a while <coughs> he, he's the man that came to me in jail if Jesse Bashnight had not been living a life consecrated to God where would he have been on a Saturday morning in South Florida playing golf, fishing, laying on the beach. What might he have been doing? Yet where was he? He was in jail carrying a Bible and walking around trying to tell men you haven't been too bad to be forgiven. What was he doing? He was doing God's will. God was able to do his will through this person who was consecrated to him. You understand? And, and so the whole, the whole point for each one of us to grasp here is that, that it gets beyond self. First of all, yeah, when we receive Christ as our Savior, when we become a child of God, yeah, it's personal and we want it to be and we talk about it and and it's for me, and God loves me, and so forth. But then comes a place where God is able to say, <laughs> through the Jesse Bassnots in here, I've been pouring into you. I've been pouring into you. What are you going to do? See? And so first of all, God wants us to be able to voluntarily give ourself to him. And that's why the key verse here is Romans 12, 1. And again, that's why Paul in that verse says, it's, it's your reasonable service. But it's something that we do. We have to decide to do this. It's not a small thing. It, we, to teach the same course in jail. 
and the name of the class at Jesus, <coughs> Turning Point, bless your heart, that's a bad cough. We talked to the guys at jail about have you reached your turning point? This is it. Are you just in here in this class to learn about God because you haven't got anything else to do and sit on your bunk in your cell and twiddle your thrums so you'd rather come to class? Are you just going to learn about Christ who died for you and oh, that's a good thing and you're going to read your Bible now? If that's as far as it goes, then when they open that door and set you free, guess where you're going? Right back where you came from. Right back to the same <coughs> lifestyle you had before. What's going to change things? What's going to be the turning point? And the turning point is right here. Are you going to consecrate your life to God in order for his will to be done instead of your own or not? What do you want in your life? Do you want God's will done in your life or do you want to do your own thing? That's what we call there. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is a really key and important subject. This is the turning point for just everybody in Christianity. We, we lead children to the Lord, and not just children, of course. But, but what do we do first? We start teaching them about how much God loves them. We start teaching them about what God's done for them. We start getting them to a point where they fall in love with God. But at some point, at some point, that life now has to be dedicated to God. At some point, this life is set apart from <coughs> the rest of the world for God to be able to have his will in that life. <clears throat> Let me skip down um, in the next paragraph below number four. But how do I consecrate myself to God? Yield yourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead, says Romans 6.13. God does not want me to offer my old self to him. This is important. It is the new life in Christ which God wants me to present to him. God cannot use anything of the old life. Only those who are alive from the dead can serve him. It is only as I see that I have been crucified with Christ, buried with him, and raised up again with him, that I can truly consecrate my life to him. What is the result of consecration? It is that I die to my own plans and ambitions. Now, I want to stop right there for just a second because I don't want that misunderstood. There's a place here where that means and says just exactly what it says. But does that mean that a guy that's, um, or could look, change it, let me change gears, let's take it to a woman. Let's take it to a woman that's, uh, that she's discovered some new thing that will really help cosmetically. So she's 
wanting to put out a line of cosmetics. And so she's got plans and desires for this that she wants to pursue. Are we saying here, when we say that you're to die to your own plans and ambitions, that you're not to have any such separate plans and ambitions? And the answer is emphatically no. <coughs> no. God wants us to do things, otherwise we wouldn't have much progress in this world, would we? So it's, it's not talking about that. What it's really talking about is when you take your plans and ambitions and put them before God. If the woman I'm trying to use here in this illustration is, is following what God would want for a consecrated life, this is going to be a woman who loves the Lord, reads His Word, prays, thinks about it, tries to live the way she thinks she'd want her to live. Um, take it to the extreme of maybe getting off of drugs or alcohol or whatever else might be involved in life. Putting sin down. Stepping away from the sinful life. <coughs> realizing that the old life is crucified with Christ and that we're to walk in a new life. <coughs> You've got that one that has, that's putting God first. If she has plans and ambitions, there's nothing in God's word that she, she shouldn't pursue those plans and ambitions. So that's not what's being said here. It's simply saying that when your plans and ambitions are more important to you than your relationship with God, then you're, you're a heap of stuff. You're doing it wrong. Something is wrong. I live to do the will of God. The Lord Jesus is our example. He did not come into the world to do his own will or to be great in the eyes of men. That's <coughs> something for us to look at, too, because, you know, most people, men, we say in general, um, want to be great in the eyes of men. <clears throat> I think we talked about it in one of the opening lessons here, about uh, Jesus lived this obscure life in a little place, never traveled more than 70 miles in his whole life, never tried to influence palaces or rich people. He didn't set up meetings with rich people who would promote what he was doing. <laughs> didn't do any of that, did he? Uh, so he wasn't trying to be great in the eyes of men. He came to do the will of his father. Though he was God, he humbled himself and took upon himself the form of a servant. <coughs> he, was, he was obedient to the will of God, even to the point of death on the cross. Now God says to us, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2, 5. There is, fellas, gals, there is a life consecrated to God. When, when you've got this mind, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Do not think that if you consecrate your life to the Lord, you will become a famous preacher or missionary. This may happen to some, but God doesn't seem to need many famous people. <laughs> he needs us in our home, in our neighborhood, in our workplace. The blessing of consecration is finding God's perfect will for our life. God has work for every child of his, for we are his workmanship 
created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. When I consecrate myself to the Lord, he can show me that work which he has for me, and my greatest satisfaction comes when I find God's will for my life and do it. Think of the joy of meeting the Lord, and he says, uh, well done, my good and faithful servant. Um, that's, I'll <coughs> it up with that, we've got a couple of minutes, but that to me, that, that wraps up the whole subject. It is a turning point. It is, it is a place that we, each one of us need to come to. And we need to realize, too, be careful what I say, but I'll go ahead and say what I started to. If we haven't come to a place where we're ready, willing, and able through God's help to consecrate our life to God, if we're not at a place where we're, we're willing to lay our life down as a sacrifice, and yet Paul says to present it as a living sacrifice, go about our life as consecrated to God. If we haven't reached that point, then God's got some work to do in us and we've got some work to do before God. We haven't made, if, you, if you're not ready to do that, you haven't come to the point. And every one of us need to be there. And I, I think I'm free to speak to the people I know in this class. You're all there. And, and you probably have consecrated your life to God. I expect you have. But boy, and and. <laughs> you remember last week and I, when I said when, when, when God spoke to my heart and said what are you going to do with this gift and he said you see razor wires and gun towers but I see people I guess that's the whole point guys you, this is a gift the things that God given, has given us are too great too too great for us to sit on. Not everybody's going to start a ministry. Not everybody might be a part of a ministry. But let me tell you where your ministry can be. Y'all don't do it anymore, but when I was a kid, my mother hung clothes on the clothesline. And <laughs> we didn't have many fences where we lived. <coughs> so woman next door or behind the house or whatever, be hanging close too. Guess where a lot of women carried on conversations? Across the clothesline. A cup of coffee. What about somebody at work? You sit down and take a break and you're having a coffee and a donut or maybe at lunchtime and you happen to be sharing a table with somebody at lunchtime. And do you have to take your Bible and beat them over the head with it? No. But you know, and again, it's something that I said last week that I, that I find to be an enormous aid in this area, is to live a joyful life. My goodness, why shouldn't we be full of joy after we've given on? And if you're living your life full of joy in a world that's crumbling around you, somebody's going to rightfully ask, what's the reason for your joy? Why are you so happy? And especially maybe they get to know you and they know that things are going on in your life that are sad and hurtful and all of that. And yet they're able to say, how, how do you deal with this? 
that's, that's when our personal ministry comes in. And I'll tell you the truth, I think that that's when it's most important, is when you're able to share with somebody you know, when they're able to see in you that your life is, is not dedicated to the things of the world. Your life's dedicated to God. Yeah. That's kind of where it's at. That's where the rubber meets the road. This is a turning point not only in our life, but I'll share with you this, that we've reached a turning point in this class, in this course. Next week, we'll talk about sanctification and justification uh, and some important things there for us to be able to know and understand. But as we move on through this course, you're going to see that we're moving more and more <coughs> into how the things that we've learned apply to us. I think that uh, after next week, then I know it is, when next week we have these two words coming up, and the next week we're going to talk about our conscience, really an important subject, and how God begins to speak to you in your conscience. We're going to be getting into subjects that have more to do with how this thing begins to play out in your personal life. But it really hinges on this word consecration. Yeah. As we get into the things and the coming lessons that apply to your life, we're talking about those things applying to a life that's consecrated to God. The biblical, biblical aspects of life I can't say they have no value for an unsaved person. Bless your heart, I hope they're able to do something with that. How can I talk to a person that's unsaved about God speaking to him in his conscience? It wouldn't make sense to him, wouldn't ring a bell. Um, well, maybe it would, but, but I hope you understand what I'm trying to say is that the lessons that come now after this are geared toward a born-again believer that's consecrated in life to God. Let me shut up. Somebody else tell me something. What do you, th what do you think? <laughs> Talking a bunch. <laughs> I think that you, what you're saying is definitely true because I, I became a Christian in <coughs> that it took probably 15 years before I finally gave my heart to God and stopped letting things that were stumbling blocks in my way. I just put it on Him and started moving forward. Praise God. See, and that's, that's, where, that's where we're going to be. That's, the, that's really pretty much the object of, of this particular lesson. Because let's say that you hadn't reached that point yet and you were sitting here in this class. Then you would need to know that that's something you finally, a bridge you finally need to cross. Uh, and, and, um, and I guess that that's the whole message to every Christian. Um, and, if we're, and if we're dealing with people in our everyday life that we know to be born again believers, and yet we see that they're struggling Things in life just never seem to go right for them. I invite you to think about this subject because probably what you're dealing with is somebody that's in that 15 year period <coughs> between having realized that Jesus died, Christ died for their sins, but they haven't yet come to the place where they're willing. And I think here's a key 
to accept his will above our own. Because during those 15 years, you were still going your own way, pretty much, right? And, and that's why those things were then stumbling blocks, because they kept being there, because you kept going back to them. You have to come to the place where you're able to make that turn. Yes, ma'am. I, I want to say to you, with, with his will versus our own will, I know, like, I spent so many years thinking, like, that God's rules were there to just, that's really not going to make me happy. I know I should do that. You know, this is before I came back to <coughs> I should do those things, and I shouldn't sin in this way, but that's not going to make me happy. That's boring. And I spent so many years, like, following my will, and I feel like the Lord was like, you can have your will. You're going to be miserable, but have your will. And that's what happened. And then through, <laughs> some people have to learn lessons the hard way. And it's, that's been me um, in the past is that I've learned so many lessons the hard way where it's like, now I know God's will is truly best for me. If I want this thing and it's not from the Lord, I don't want it. I, Praise I don't, God. Because I, I already know God knows. He sees my whole life. He sees every effect that everything's going to have. And so even if it's something that I, like, personally don't want, I want it because God knows more than I do. But it took me a long time to, long get, time to get there. to that but point, you know. See, and, and what you just described is what I call the turning point. And that's why when, when they asked me at Middle River, and that's what they did, when I first gained permission from them to be able to start coming in and teaching, they wanted a name so that they could advertise, they don't do much advertising, but they could put a name out to the inmates to see if they wanted to come to this. And that's what I told them I wanted to call it. I wanted to call it Turning Point because I want to, my heart's desire is to lead people to the point that Jesse Bassnight got me to, and that was to make this turn. And uh, so, good point, thank you.